Okay. Uh, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the very fine podcast, we hope, that we call Never Stay Dead. Hello, Matt. Hello, Damien, a.k.a. Sleepy Reader 666, a.k.a. Yes. the beast from below that we'll be talking about today. <laughs> I want my own hell dimension. Today, we are talking about the spin-off miniseries from the X-Men from 1983 called Storm and Ileana Magic, a four-issue limited series from the X-Men, it says on the on the cover. Yeah. It's I think we also need to talk a little bit, or this is spinning out of events from the Uncanny X-Men 160, which was yes. about which was published about a year and a half before this miniseries came out. Right, which for when this kind of comic came out, that I mean, that was that that would feel like a much more bizarre pull than it does to me now being able right. to just reference it so easily. Right. This was the days when, first of all, you couldn't go find back issues that easily, and uh, where lots of people came and went into the comic book world from the newsstands. Um, Although the the comic book stores were beginning to gain some strength by 82, 83. And also confusing things, it's kind of sort of an origin story for Magic, who is a character in the already running New Mutants. Well, she, but when did she first appear in the New Mutants? Well, she doesn't appear in the New Mutants. This miniseries takes place before the New Mutants. And then shortly after this miniseries, she joins them. So, ah, but the New Mutants had already started publishing. Yes, maybe she joined the New Mutants. Yeah, she joins them on like their second um, arc. I'd want to say around the like, idea of what issue that is. Issue eight or something. I'm kind of okay. pulling it from memory here, so interested too much. It's early, but she's not in the first round picks, I guess. Uh-huh. So she's got, not. In I pulled like up issue novel. eight here, and it came out in October '83. And this series began in December 83. So that would make sense. In that sense, it makes sense that it would come out a few months after she first appears in the New Mutant. But it is interesting that, you know, I, I would love to know, uh, and maybe someone out there does know, if Chris Claremont has talked about this series and whether he had this whole story in his head when he uh, published X-Men um, 160 where um, the entire team gets sucked into this hell dimension run by a sorcerer slash now demon named Belasco, who um, is he originally after Kitty Pride or is he always after, I guess he's always after Ileana. Anyway, they lose Ileana for a split second in issue 160 when they, at the end of the issue, and when they pull her out of the hell dimension, she is aged from age seven to 14 or something like that. Somewhere in about, yeah. And then um, a year and a half later, they come back and do this miniseries where they tell us what happened during those few split seconds, our time, that were about five or six years her time. Right. And if I could take a gander, I don't know if there's some interview or whatnot, but given the way that this is presented, because the way the ending happens in 160 versus where they need to pull her in through the miniseries. Uh-huh. Um, it, it feels like a bit of retconning because she says, oh, I'll act this way for them. 
you know so it's it's like he realized an art for the ending he was going for and where he had left it prior he had to kind of shift it a little so i think he had the rough idea but some of the specifics just didn't come out when he was writing which could have just been the process of the miniseries like unlike wolverine which we talked about last time the art duties on this miniseries were shifting constantly uh-huh. with a lot of like spider-man known artists from my perspective anyways ron friends and uh sal Buscema. right so i got a little cut when you said she says she'll act for them where is where, where are you talking about in the that is like original the second to last page of the magic miniseries oh so like the, magic the very miniseries. ending i'm fine yeah. so that is different than um than the end of that x-men 160 in a yeah it's yeah it, it be, we'll go through it but the ending is kind of an odd fit to where it buttons up with the end of this issue in 160 right partially because they make such a big deal about this talisman we're looking at with the bloodstones but in the end that's not such a big deal <laughs> well and they don't let us know in the original x-men that she's kind of defeated belasco to spoil everything but Right. So maybe we should give an overview. Sure. <laughs> I don't even know how to overview this. In a way, it's a very short story. In a way, it's very complicated. Right. But so you want to do it? Yeah, or... I, I'll okay. give it a whirl. So I, I feel like, so 160, like you were saying, Ileana disappears. And then the X-Men, at this time, it's the all-new X-Men, Sans Scott, dealing with this situation where they kind of poured into a hell dimension they are able to deal with each other or deal with each other they're able to save each other from belasco but they kind of forget about Ilion the process because they're seeing two storms they're seeing these dismembered or corpses of themselves as they're trying to escape right that's one of the big confusing things sorry to cut in but when we arrive the first thing we find is some distorted evil version of nightcrawler Mm -hmm. and and then we find out that all of the x-men have been here in some variation of themselves previously and all been defeated and corrupted by velasco and they stayed behind to save iliana but now this new version left and didn't save iliana uh, seemingly right and so it's a whole to do uh, but at the end they just kind of escape in a short, you know, within the issue. And then they pull Ileana out at the last minute. And like we talked about, she's older. But when we start up the miniseries, we're introduced to, uh, this should be my eighth birthday. So she would have been seven, but it is my 14th and kind of here's why. And we see her go into the hell dimension, but we live through these events with these distorted X-Men. Um, Colossus isn't much of them, which is an interesting choice because she's, he's the brother of Ileana but we get a lot of storm and the storm in this twisted universe is has relied more on learning witchcraft which is part of her heritage as the weather witch I guess um right it's a little confused on that kind of plays on her goddess her supposed goddess role before she was in the x-men yeah but I, I thought think. that relied heavily on her being a mutant and this is her right. learning this magic implied not... there's something else yeah. But it may be more her personality that allowed her to 
both apprentice herself to Belasco mm. and to, at the same time, to rebel against him ultimately. Right. And so we'll go through some of the to-do of it all. Um, so the ongoing theme is the corruption of the soul. Belasco corrupts your soul. Right. right. He, like, he corrupted Storm's soul up to a point. And now he wants to corrupt Ileana's soul as part of his scheme to, to let these nameless, never seen gods from another dimension use Ileana as a portal to get to Earth somehow. And part of the reason he wants to twist her is because she's such a pure and good soul because she's, you know, a seven-year-old girl. Right. And that's part of what makes this so dark and harrowing. And so, yeah, it, it's a tale of good versus evil and eventually good more or less triumphs, but... Sort of. But, yeah. but is very warped and destroyed. Right. I mean, because it's very clear by the not completely clear in X-Men 160, but by the end of reading this miniseries, that Ileana is extremely damaged goods at this point. Yeah, which plays into her character as we go into New Mutants. And this whole arc that's set up in this miniseries isn't resolved until Inferno, which right, is... Which now I feel I have to read, because I'm curious about the whole thing. Uh, yeah, if you're going to read Inferno for this, I'd say just read the new mutants part okay okay well that's good advice yeah because the rest doesn't have anything to deal with this <laughs> the other aspect that the aspect that played with my mind the most beyond the fact that belasco just has the power of corrupting you and making you like it just mm -hmm. sort of by waving his hands over you sometimes was the whole concept that there's this other version of the x-men already there in this dimension and they may be, because of the weird plays with time and time shifts, they may just be two, they may not be from like really another dimension, but just two different versions of the same group of people. Right. Split second apart in a way. Yeah. Because it, of the time difference. A split second uh, in this dimension gives you an extra six or seven or eight years um, to play with. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's all wonky and weird, and it's intentionally off-shift. Um, and as you read, it's like that as well. So should we just dive into the first issue of Magic, the mini? I guess. Well, I, I guess I would say I'm sorry that I, you were going to summarize things, and I, in my usual way, kept interrupting you. I mean, Do we're you... pretty much through that now. So Okay, well... Okay, well, let's go to issue one. I, I guess I would just say that it's it's a battle for her soul between between Storm and Belasco, the the older Storm, the magic Storm. Yeah. So, as we enter issue one, it feels like we're seeing the X Men, and we're reading it through. And it's not until about halfway through the issue that you realize these are kind of dark twisted versions of the x-men rather than just them and medius res i guess so we pretty much have storm as she is here and then cat is who kitty's referred to but we right. find out pretty quickly that belasco has made her like a cat woman so she has a kind of cat face i don't know if she has a tail yet or not at all I don't think she has a tail, and she has a kind of uh, cheesy outfit. <laughs> yeah, cheesecakey. Yeah, um, 
it's slit all the way up to almost her underarms on the sides. Yeah. Yeah. That. <laughs> but it's other weird. than that, she's a really cool character who has somehow been transformed partially into a cat along with still having her, her phasing powers. And I think this is playing off some of the stuff that happened to her during the Wolverine Kitty Pride miniseries where she kind of learns to be more martial arts later, right? Uh, chronologically. Does it? I thought it had happened. I thought it was the third. Maybe I'm mixing up the years. It's hard to. It's all old X-Men. Cat kind of works with Storm, but also disagrees with her on basic issues of how to handle. Right. They're both kind of worrying at each other because they've both been corrupted, but Storm apprenticed with Belasco, so Cat is not really feeling the resistance side from her because they work together. It's funny because we're kind of starting years in and all the stuff had happened and uh, we just kind of get a few lines on it. Right. Well, I think basically Kat feels that what Belasco wants is for Ileana to learn magic and thus have her soul corrupted. Although we've already seen him already corrupt his soul, her soul just by waving his hands around. But so she doesn't want Ileana to learn magic because mm -hmm. she says that will play into his hands. Right. Which is, I, I don't understand how that is. Um, there is a lot of just kind of rules of magic that just kind of happen as they go and they don't really ever explain it, which I've heard a lot of writers kind of state as a no-no. Like if you're going to be dealing with this kind of thing, you have to establish some boundaries. Otherwise it feels like every movement is a deus ex machina. Yeah. And, and Belasco seems to basically have the powers of a God and yet somehow storm can kind of sort of hide from him. Maybe. Right. And this is getting ahead of it, but we find out that he's not necessarily a demon, but a demon wizard. And so his demonic appearance is him at his height of evil power, kind of like a dark right. side of the force kind of thing. Right. And the so the, the main events in the first issue include a dream where 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 uh, we see the evil side of, that's already inside of Ileana. And it tries to kill the the astral projecting version of of Storm, and then we have a scene where Storm kind of shows Ileana around her the forest she's created with her magic. And during the time they spend practicing magic, Ileana ages a year, I believe. And then we see Cat come and nearly kill Storm and kidnap Ileana to take her away supposedly on a route to get back to earth. Right. And, we, and, this, and then we see that Belasco has been watching them all along through his magic waters or something. With, I think the corniest line in the entire miniseries, you know, your success will be my victory and my victory will mean the destruction and damnation of the human race Though we never get a how or why that right. would work. Uh, right. Well, because he's going to somehow, which is never explained, use her as the channel through which he can invade Earth. He can allow these eldritch gods to invade Earth, whether right. that's of any value to him or he's just their puppet. Um, and I don't I know if that happens in Inferno. Does well, magic become the, uh, 
this conduit for elder gods? I mean, for goblins, goblins, elder yeah. goblins. <laughs> well, some of because them. it all sounds very Cthulhu-esque when he talks about it, but we're never shown anything. Right, and so I don't know. I find the next issue with Cat and Kitty moving along to be one of the more interesting points because she's pressing her, so they're running, and so Ileana runs to the point of exhaustion. And then Cat basically prods her along and keeps prodding her along until he goads her into a fight. It's this very like tough love kind of ideal. Well, the idea is she she every day forces her to run further than she can run and force her to fight in these brutal sword fights or knife fights with her where she gets wounded right. until she becomes strong enough and good enough to stand up to Cat. So it's it's training as torture, basically. Right. And so we have one of our good guys pushing her through something as torturous as the bad guys are almost. And this is supposed right. to be helping her, which I think it just kind of shows how even for X-Men, I think how dark this story is, especially for a little girl. Yeah. It's dark and brutal, and the pictures are mild compared to what's actually described in the captions, mm -hmm. which are often much worse. I don't know I if I can find an example of that right at this moment. It's rare I truly feel this, but I do feel this miniseries was hampered by the code, and if it was done like even a handful of years later, I think allowing the art to be a bit more painful Literal. yeah, would would benefit this story because it just feels mismatched yeah um yeah because if you just flip through it it looks like maybe some normal swashbuckling and stuff but then if you're really reading it you see it's it's this young girl being brutalized by this older woman kitty pride mm -hmm. it's pretty disturbing and th there's also i mean not in this issue but a lot of hints that maybe belasco is having sex with her or the, a lot of the language is almost as if, you know, he's defiling her and all those kinds of words being used. Right. And we skipped over this in uh, X-Men 160, but there's a quick moment where this dark version of Nightcrawler comes up to Kitty and she's like, hey. And then she said, how dare you touch me like that? And there's nothing to really show it. So you oh, just right. have to infer this. It, like Infer that he's groping her breasts or perhaps even worse. Right. It, it, there's a there's a big to do made to this on this account i follow called the claremont run talking about this perversion of the idea and sexual assault really getting into it and so i mean there are gender dynamics at play here i mean even as dark as it is the the good side is all women and the bad guys here are pretty much all men and some of that is the dynamic between i guess though it's kind of put up front and then not talked about mm -hmm. uh, as much and it's kind of encoded language again i feel like the code really kind of hampered what this story was trying to say not that i need it to be overly graphic but yeah i mean parts of some of this even <laughs> even in the coldest world i don't i wouldn't want to buy a comic if they're showing a uh, eight-year-old girl being raped by demons. That's but fair. It, there is a hint that that's 
possibly something that goes on here. I, yeah, and I don't need crossed here, but if they're trying to get to that angle of kind of things, I need something a little more upfront, I guess. There's a lot of coded ideas here, and it's so coded, it softens the punch too much, I think. For what right. it's going for. Although, I mean, I think a lot of what's cool about this is kind of the implication of horror and and it would i don't know it it would be it's it's horrifying enough in a way to me. I, I, that's fair but it's I, not um in a sense the the mechanics are not specific like it you do have this problem of well he corrupts people but how does he really corrupt people is never really revealed and Ileana refers to herself as his consort, which, right, like you said, mechanics, That's like, right, and that talking about liking him and sort of liking his touch almost. I don't know if they use right. those words, right? Like it is dark and creepy, but I don't necessarily fully understand what's going on here, and that makes it. I, I don't know. I, I don't, like I said, I don't need that. I, I don't need like a graphic amount of detail, but I'd like to understand what we're saying, I guess. Right. To understand so what the does Chris Claremont really mean by corruption. Mm-hmm. He's dancing around that. And one of the scenes he has both for Oro for, for storm and for Ileana eventually is that they're willing to kill Velasco. And that somehow stains their souls. But if you're willing to kill your torturer, I don't know if that's like the ultimate staining on your soul <laughs> compared to being willing to kill an innocent or something like that, if you see what I'm saying. Right. I think it's the act of killing at all necessarily, but I mean, right. they kill Nightcrawler here. And... Yeah. and somehow that's not as much of a problem. Right. Where really it's worse, of a, it's worse to kill Nightcrawler, who was once an innocent soul, than Belasco, who seemingly was never well and he's under the thrall of belasco like you could argue he could be pulled back more so and we get a pretty graphic i mean it's not so graphic but it's a relative stab through presumably the heart the chest anyways Mm -hmm. like i know what's going on it's grim it's gritty but it's not overdone or anything and that's kind of some of the level of what i'm talking about like there's no there's no subtext here he was killed right and partially because his leg was stuck in the floor and there's a caption describing like you know the stone mixing with the flesh and you're like okay what's funny to me though too is nightcrawler technically when he teleports teleports through a demon dimension so if he's teleporting here would that have an odd play i don't know that's just my nerd nitpick with wouldn't he have some resistance to demonic things if he's always teleporting through demon dimensions? There you go. That's true, too. But but so it's a really hard story to grasp onto because there is it, there's something missing from it, but it also mm-hmm. feels really powerful and really kind of unique within a Marvel, contact, Marvel Comics context at this point. Um, right. It, real you know it's a really cool story idea to have someone 
spend eight years in hell. We kind of see this thing in Buffy the Vampire Slayer decades later, but spend or Supernatural. Yeah. I've never watched Supernatural, but but that came after Buffy anyway. Wow. Um, <laughs> anyway, this kind of story feels very unique and everything, but it mm -hmm. it also feels a little doughy and shapeless to me. That's like fair. the basic idea that there's a struggle between Storm and Belasco for Ileana's soul gets very confused because Ileana ends up, not sorry, Storm ends up off screen for so much of the story. And so it doesn't really feel like a battle but for her soul. It feels like one person after another corrupts her soul. Right. And yeah, I... I think you can read into some stuff and if you kind of create a, some of your own text to fill in the subtext, it comes together a little better. But this story relies more on a certain amount of reader interpretation or willingness to connect dots across the text right. more so than pretty much anything else I've read, certainly Claremont-wise and doubly so Marvel-wise. Um this is an odd story, and it is to, I think, one of Marvel's truly edgier characters. And I don't mean in like an Adam X 90s edgy way, but I mean, magic is truly one of the more like harder to grasp, harder to deal with characters. And this is a lot of the reason why. I mean, this is her defining story in a lot of way, more so than Wolverine that we talked about last time. Uh, partially just due to you know amount of stories told with a character moving on but also like this is this informs so much about her but this also isn't her prototypical self like this is the baseline of her she's barely a character before this story mm -hmm. um she she existed as colossus's sister for years and then she was named as Ileana years later and then she actually kind of had like moments to speak basically just issues before 160 uh the x-men issue that this takes place in and this is her coming to be and then we get her through new mutants but in new mutants she's more of a uh angsty teen dealing with limbo which is where this is supposed to take place but is never depicted quite like this ever right. again so i mean she's a character that is always growing and moving in a lot of ways so it's interesting to see that whereas now when she's used um i feel like she's kind of a more established character so she's more of a fixture that isn't quite growing as much but i mean throughout claremont's use of her she, he's she's one of his most dynamic characters i'd say mm -hmm. and one of the two real exciting and interesting characters on the new moons her and uh roberto i'd argue are kind of the big the big interesting players and the rest are to talk about different angles of being a teenager but those are the two standouts and here we i don't know this is like you said such a standout i do feel like maybe you know Claremont is with this story is moving deeper, further away from the standard superhero comics that he built his empire on. If you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. His, his 
like like we said when we uh, were talking about Wolverine, I I feel like Claremont is an evolutionary writer building on the Marvel tradition as opposed to Frank Miller, who's more revolutionary and you know busting down the gate and trying something new very quickly. Totally, this feels like Claremont pushing into newer territory and maybe saying in his mind, you know, we have characters like Son of Satan and Werewolf by Night and and Ghost Rider, but we don't really talk about what that really means. These characters who come from hell and stuff like that. And and now I want to uh, really show what all that implies and then bring it back into my superhero group comic. What's really interesting is the issue before 160 and Uncanny um, is the issue where Storm is bit by Dracula. And this is Tomb of Dracula, Dracula. And there you have the the normal Marvel trappings of horror. And it's actually written very differently. So when Storm's taken by Dracula, we don't really see it. We see more of the implication, the dealings with after, and we get Dracula being a very... um, uh, Teflon character. It's hard for the mm-hmm. X Men to deal with him, and he basically just flies away. Unlike most of their villains that are, you know, down to fight, he's not doing it. He also has a lot of reverence for Storm in a weird way, which is why she ultimately doesn't become a vampire because he lets go of her. Um, it's a very different feel, but it's it's so weird that the juxtapa- juxtaposition is one issue and then the next because Belasco and dealing with magic is more Claremont's play. The only Blesco appearance before that issue and then dealing with this is in Kazar, which right. is the whole deal. And have you read those issues? I guess he appeared in three issues of Kazar. Yeah, I have. Do you, do you know who wrote those? Yes. So that it's written by Bruce Jones and I believe drawn by Brent Anderson. And uh, I read those issues back in 1982, and I remember enjoying them, but I don't remember any details of it. And I was wishing I had time to search through my boxes down in the basement to see if I actually have those issues still. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I don't know for sure. I can tell you I don't. (laughs) But you did read them online or you did not? I, I didn't look up those KSR issues. I uh, was they focused on... They do not on... have those KSR issues on Marvel Unlimited, and so I didn't look any further. But... That's fair. I don't think anyone's holding it against you. It's funny because I looked up where Belasco goes. Maybe I should talk about it a little later, but where he goes after this mini, and um, it's kind of weird. Oh, well, yeah, I'd like to know about that. But, but here, they make this big deal about the five bloodstones, um, here, but this is about the last time it's talked about, right? They well, they and they show them, so it's not talked about in New Mutants or at the time of Inferno or anything like that. It's not talked about by Inferno. I think it comes up again in New Mutants, but is let go. The whole idea of Belasco is more or less let go. He, he's mentioned continuously when we talk about magic and limbo, but oh. he's basically not present so i think then issue three is really the corruption of iliana where magic Mm -hmm. but she's still fighting the corruption she goes part of my frustration with the book was there's a constant going back and forth i'm corrupted oh i'm not corrupted i'm corrupted i'm not corrupted 
maybe Claremont didn't totally have a grasp on what he wanted to do there, but I, I could be wrong. I mean, I still love this story, but I did find myself kind of putting it down, picking it up. Each issue is a lot to read. I mean, a, a lot of modern trades probably take the same amount of time as each one of these issues to read. It's an old Claremont issue. But, it, but it just inches forward in terms of what the story is actually about. And, and that's what's kind of interesting. Like, there's some sort of action in every issue, but there's so much kind of prodding and placement and movement, and the action is pretty slight by comparison. This is a very moody comic, not as right. much a action showstopper, which yeah. fits the theme. Well, another thing that I thought, I mean, oh, there's three different pencilers here, but most, for the most part, it all looks unified. And that's because the real art star here is um, Tom Palmer. And he was also the editor, the inker on Tom Palmer's the embellisher slash inker. The finisher, sometimes he's called, because a lot of these are very rough pencils, I guess. Mm -hmm. And he was also the um, the anchor on on uh, the Dracula comics. And okay. I, a lot comes across because of the mood. I hate to say it, but the Ron Friends issue, number three, is the worst drawn. I think Ron Friends was still a pretty young artist, inexperienced. Well, for what I know, Ron Friends does better. This is so. This is kind of outside of more his wheelhouse and what he, where his strengths are, I'd say. But I think you're right. I think he was still relatively new. I don't think he had done his Spider-Man stuff yet either. So, but after saying how great I thought the moodiness of Tom Palmer's inking was, storytelling is dependent on the penciler. Mm -hmm. The layouts, the breakdowns, and I don't think that these were Claremont's best partners for this story. Well, I wonder about that because even talking though about... I loved Sal Buscema and I love John Buscema, I feel like they weren't the right people for a horror comic. I I feel like this comic had some weird interference because there was so much art turnover and uh, kind of clearly some stuff that. I imagine Claremont one depicted that I imagine was um, pushed against. Mm -hmm. This feels like ironically to me, uh, something Claremont wanted told to in, you know, introduce this new character that he wanted to do something with since he had to take on new mutants. Right. But he couldn't interrupt new mutants to put these four issues in. Right. To do with the other mutants, except for, this one panel here where she meets them somewhere in limbo, <laughs> <laughs> which was interesting, but I don't know if that plays on anything about the new mutants. I, it's funny that they're there for like a moment. It's so right. skippable. Um, but but uh, her bed with their car. Right. It got very exciting for me when it when Ileana gains her mutant powers and is combining them with her magic. Um, that is her mutant powers to make those gateways. I but they also say that that comes from Storm, right? Because it's silver and not like corrupted. Uh, I I am never sure where her where her sorcery ends and her mutant abilities begin. I I, I don't get that. 
Yeah. I, it's funny. Um, Dan Slott put up this thread about don't mix your mojos when you're telling a story. Like science and magic. Yeah. And this is a character to me that very much does that. And in a way, I don't care necessarily. It's just funny to me that she's considered a mutant because she's so embroiled in all this stuff. Like she's closer to Doctor Strange than she is Colossus. Right. Right. Well, and, uh, you know, Dr. Doom is always supposedly a mixture of magic and science, but no one ever really delves into that much. But you can usually tell when he's using one or the other. That's true. But it's almost always science. It's always robots and time machines. and It's usually like science uplifted by magic or like bolstered by magic more so than, yeah, being a true... But he's supposedly like one of the better sorcerers on the planet, which I always thought was weird. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think like when we, when we saw, when we read Wolverine, uh, Claremont had a brilliant artist to work with and Claremont's had a lot of brilliant artists to work with on X-Men. Sure. He doesn't normally, and he's worked with Sal Buscema quite a bit, I guess, but he doesn't normally work with John Buscema. And mm-hmm. I just felt like there was a conflict there between them somehow in creative spirits. But I, I, I'll never really, you know, have an answer to that. And I feel like Tom Palmer was was with his moody ink qualities, the one kind of trying to bring it back to what um, what Claremont wanted. But of course, he could only give the surface patina because he was not the storyteller. The cover of issue four is the only thing penciled it's the best cover i think of the series and it's penciled and inked by tom palmer and it makes me really want to see these these stories completely done by tom palmer so anyway that's just my art theory (laughs) i'm with you if i could uh based on my more newly gained understanding of the marvel studio around this Mm -hmm. time my guess is this was a comic that was at the bottom of the pile for the artists and they're basically rushing to get it done, took the notes they had and just churned it out. Right. And then, and then Claremont, I mean, he maybe filled in some stuff they couldn't because of the comics code authority filled it in with his endless captions. But I think he also filled in stuff that, that the artists just didn't think to put in because they're not really horror artists or, you know, uh, magical kind of artists yeah i i mean i'd be curious to under more so than most comics i'd be curious to understand more of the production notes of this comic because it's such a there's such a weird tension push and pull that you can just kind of feel like this comic feels like it wasn't easy to make right well i wish the omnibuses of old you know like of the original x-men run and other omnibuses that i have were filled in the back pages with the original plot since it was all plot first what the writer i'd love to see what the writer wrote the plot was supposed to be and then see what the artist turned it into there you go yeah Um, which is just something we don't have much privy to i think there's not i've only seen a few of those ever in print like there's one by stan lee that's out there for a spider-man issue before steve Ditko took over the plotting 
There's only like what two, three issues. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, so here you three pages of Claremont, you just skipped like <laughs> <laughs> um so here's some of that silver circle stuff. And I mean, here's where this storm fades, basically. Right. Right. I do it must be done. Because that was the cliffhanger of the last issue. Right. And yeah, I, and and Ileana kills Storm to save her soul. Right. But it's still seen as kind of a corrupting moment for Ileana, I suppose. But it does. Yeah, when we get to the very end of this issue, it's odd to me that that isn't as strong as where the sentence. Right. And yeah, we have the kind of come up. And so then we have, God, I swear this is the only true blue superhero panel in this book, like Colossus breaking right. in like that. Well, and you talked about how all the males are bad. We've got Colossus, who was the good male, so he's dead throughout the story, <laughs> only to appear as a revived corpse created by uh, Belasco, I guess, to kind of haunt Ileana. Right. And he's framed differently, too, because he, he's the family, and then she goes to escape his onslaught, and then she ends up in front of her, you know, their parents. Right. And that's very unclear if that scene is real. Does she really travel through space and time to Earth, see her parents, and her parents reject her because she's the wrong age, and then she returns back to hell? So this is something that happens a lot in comics that I wonder about. It's an unreliable narrator. Here it's interesting, though. She says she feels it's real. She feels mm -hmm. it isn't Belasco's magic. So I'm willing to extend the idea that she's magic. probably right. Belasco's magic. And then they don't believe it, which is almost worse for her because it is real and she believes it to be real. And in a way, does it matter necessarily? Like, this is her truth and this is her story. Yeah. So... But so she has, she literally has escaped Belasco then. Right. But she doesn't know, like, but now she's lived her life there and her parents have called her a wolf girl and a circus reject. And she doesn't, which is funny because if this was any other X Men comic, this is about the time Xavier would show up to pull her away, right? Right. Um, and here it's, just she doesn't like try to convince them she's really her by telling telling some secret only they would know about her or only for much of anything. There's not much of a fight. She's just right. so taken aback. I mean, keep Which in mind, makes it feel good. like another Belasco's tricks. But... Yeah, she's still very young. Um, yeah. And this moment, I feel, is more played out than a lot because so much happens, and uh, this moment, you know, sits for a while, and then yeah, this immediate haunted x-men and then she or was it real and was she just in the middle of being tortured by belasco i think this is that's a this whole scene is a good example of my the side of me i'm both impressed and frustrated by this book because i just it slips through my fingers when i try to decide what really went on and maybe that's the point of it it's all like this nightmare that, that you just can't grasp but right like i i I agree with you. And I think some of the frustration of the book is also kind of the brilliance of the book. Cause I mean, to go through that scene and to truly not fully know, but to also get something out of it is pretty impressive, but it is also kind of like, well, yeah. So, and if it's know, real, she has her level of power is even more incredible. She can travel between 
she doesn't need to be rescued by other people. And I guess I'm trying to now remember if at the end, when it seems like the X-Men are rescuing her, is she really creating her own rescuing? I'm now flipping pages. Yeah, and we don't get that. Um, but here we get the soul sword. Um, uh-huh. And then she goes to attack Belasco. Is it identified as a soul sword at this point? In one of the, I can't remember exactly where it is. One of the text balloons. It's th- these last few pages. A lot of her lore is actually named and established. So it is right. named the Soul Sword. Belasco refers to when she becomes more corrupted as the Dark Child, which plays very heavily into like the Inferno and just pre-Inferno issues of New Mutants. Um, there it is. So as she's attacking, winning, she the demonosity of Belasco is regressed and she gains it, which is interesting because we've seen Belasco as a demon this entire time, but he right. was just a man who became a sorcerer with a really bad haircut. Right. So she becomes the most powerful one seemingly. Right. What's funny too, is like here we only see her with like some horns and a bit, And when she truly becomes Dark Child in Inferno, she becomes far more demonic than this. Uh But yeah, but in the end, she chooses mercy and lets him Mm -hmm. live. Of course, he thinks it's weakness. He's all very, uh, you know, dark side of the force. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that Darth Vader-ishness based on the death of storm the death of nightcrawl and all of that choosing to let him live does something for her but the idea that she's going to kill him in this heat of passion murder is going to corrupt her and i agree with you i think the although also it's cat who murders nightcrawler and storm is kind of a weird mixed bag at the beginning of this issue but it feels like that should have more weight on her soul than killing this evil tormentor person right. who it's that whole thing where i'm bothered with batman not killing the joker i mean well a chance to kill someone who's essentially on the level of adolf hitler maybe you should do it <laughs> so okay different track but i have a whole theory on that that's my own that i agree i don't think batman should kill joker what I don't understand is the Joker's ended up in the courts. I don't know how many times. Why is he not put to the death penalty? I think it's more on the legal system of Gotham and DC America or whatever than it is Batman that Joker isn't killed. I think Batman should not kill because if he does so, it puts him in a moral position where he can no longer actually do what he does as Batman in any way but the legal system should have put joker to death forever ago and that's where the problem is right i mean the fact that joker keeps escaping returning and killing more and more people i mean every time dc brings him back he's a larger mass murderer he does become bat it is in a sense batman's fault that all these people die i mean i don't i never agree with that idea like Batman's not killing those people. It's not Batman. Batman did not kill those people. Batman knows he's going to come back and kill more people. He does, but he keeps beating him up and throwing him in jail. And again, I think it's the legal system of DC that's at fault, not Batman. I know you like, and I often agree with the idea that comics are liberal, but I think we're that whole Joker dynamic 
almost designed to be an argument against the legal system that would say someone who's insane should just go get treatment and not go to jail for life or not, you know, get the death penalty. I, I, it's an attack on that concept. It depends. I need to finish. There's a, uh, there was a story that kind of dealt with this where there's probably a few where there's the court and how Joker isn't put to death, but is on the insane plea or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And because there was, you know, a long time ago, the big battle between people who are hard on crime and soft on crime was whether you let people get off on the insanity plea, whether you even allow the insanity plea or you just say no. Yeah. The problem for me politically, usually you're talking about someone who's killed one or two people, usually in a single incident. Right. The Joker, like the morality of it is so far gone. Like when you're talking about something like that, like there's no moral argument defending the Joker. There's not. Right. There's none. And, and yet the, the system allows the Joker to slip through their fingers and they're gentle with him and give him psychiatrists and things like that. Yeah. So he's a metaphor unfortunately for so here i've i've switched to another panel um Mm -hmm. on the video end of things where belasco is upset with her for not killing him so he supposedly turned human and she has taken over his power and he says power absolute was in your grasp the price was too high and he says pitiful pathetic human weakling the implication there is he is still in control or wants to be in control of the, when she seems to gain his power, it's still his power. It's still what he wants to happen when she steals his power and is about to kill him. So I presume he wasn't really going to die, that this was yet another trap he created. I think this is an interesting moment. I, I don't know. I don't want to call it a failure, but um, Belasco is not a nuanced villain. He is pure evil. You didn't but, kill me. I'm so upset with you. <laughs> yeah. When you get to that point, I I don't know. Like, I understand this is a good versus evil thing. He doesn't even see himself as human anymore, though. But, like, he's so baffled by her that... So uh, he's so offended, even to the right. point of rather losing his life than, be, than have someone show some goodness well so he is he is a personification of hate and hate is in no way logical and so trying to make logic of the way he's acting is folly Mm -hmm. uh so i don't want to go too far down that road but yeah he's he's a nut job and that's what he's saying i didn't think of him as a personification of hate i thought of him as a personification of power absolutely corrupting i is that not similar? I don't know. That, that's interesting. I mean, it might I, I help if you if you're corrupted by power to have a lot of hate in your heart. I, I just I don't think of him as a nuanced villain, so that moment doesn't carry a lot of weight with me. I guess, but is kind of it's more about Ileana than him at that point, right? Like she refuses, and he's like, "Well, how could you be such a stupid little girl?" And she's like, "Well, no, I'm doing like." It's interesting. It sets up this weird dynamic point for her as we go throughout the New Mutants, where as we go, th- like her last moments here in this comic, she's a relatively noble, heroic character. Once we get to her in the New Mutants, she's that 
edgy characters like you guys aren't hard enough you know like always being the the badass of the group winning the fights doing whatever which is pretty much her persona carried through to x of swords but this moment she's kind of a different character and in the face of that it's interesting and i find this more compelling than that and the the one moment i can think of where we get a balance between that is much later in the new mutants where she's working with magneto and magneto is willing to go to limbo for her and kind of take care of her problem that would save her soul but she refuses because it's her fight and she needs to deal with it it's the only moment that we get that kind of complexity out of her again i feel like I don't know. It's interesting because we do get a lot of her being a young character and moving on, but she's pretty set in stone after this many. And to me, it just was another bit of the fuzziness. You know, was Belasco really going to die or was this Belasco's final test that would give him victory? And so Mm. she stole victory away from him by not killing him. But so did she ever really succeed in like being the one who was the master of the situation? or the master of all this power. Right. She says, returning to Earth means sooner or later I'll have to face Belasco. So she let him go, and now she knows she'll have to have another fight with him. And who can say which of us will win the rematch? And how many people will Belasco kill when he comes to Earth? It's unspoken, but it's in my head. And then when it gets to Inferno and we deal with that, it's Sim who she fights that demon uh-huh. helper lieutenant that I don't think we even talked about this entire time. Cause he's yeah. just, he just keeps popping up and I don't know if he's a completely just from this world or is he also a distortion of something from the X-Men's regular world? Well, he he's a demon in limbo um, and he's magic servant for a while when she's the true Lord of limbo. But as time goes on, he, he, wins over and then becomes lord of limbo temporarily and then that's pretty much inferno so i remember thinking sim also has a lot of qualities he's the the torturer rapist kind of character too mm -hmm. which he's called sim as in dave sims in name of cerebus so i don't know if that's supposed to be a fun nod or a condemnment of that comic or what some random thing i i mean i honestly would believe that claremont would not be a fan of cerebus at this point in 1982 83 well yeah and i i couldn't parse that right but um spelled s-y-m s apostrophe y-m true i just i know a number of uh industry insiders who have pointed to this being a nod to Dave Sims. I mean, at this point, no one knew that Dave Sim was going to become a kind of pathological misogynist. (laughs) That's true. But maybe, maybe he already had encountered Dave Sim and didn't like him or something. Very possible too. That's the thing is, I don't know. If you just squint at this demon Sim, he looks a little bit like Cerebus. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I I agree with you. Again, it's that kind of like mushiness of the story, a lot of these aspects. I don't know. And what's funny is Belasco and Magic don't really like Belasco's constantly mentioned with Magic, but they don't really 
have a big to do. And then Blasco's used throughout the Marvel Universe for years. And then there's some kind of to do in Excalibur when it's actually Kitty using the Soul Sword kind of in Ileana's memory. Because at that point, Ileana had reverted to being a child and died of the legacy virus where she was in continuity for years. She's not even brought back to Marvel proper Mm -hmm. until we're at, um, what, the new X-Men later. And that's... That's years. That's two thousands. I have to say, if after I read this, I was then currently reading New Mutants, I would want a lot more about Ileana coming up pretty quickly, <laughs> because I would, you know, be very compelled by this sort of tragic, awful story that she had to go through as a little girl. She's pretty much. I, I'd argue she's one of the main stars of New Mutants, more so, yeah. and kind of overshadows some of the other characters. Then maybe I should go back and read some New Mutants. Yeah. Well, like we read the Demon Bear saga, yeah. and she she was important in that. Yeah. yeah. She was. She was the. The key character in terms of her powers and her abilities. Right, and I mean, not at the center of the actual emotional part of the story which would be Danny. But yeah, if you're really curious about kind of more resolution to this, I'd say read those Inferno issues of New Mutants. Okay. Well, so the question in my mind now is, do we want to read the next miniseries that uh, Claremont did, or are we just reading such little bits of the story that it's not the Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries? No. Oh. Do we want to read that? What's your opinion? Have you read that? I haven't read that one yet. Um, I just started. So I was to give you some insight into my where my comics reading has been. I read through the New Mutants and I finished my New Mutants box, which was volume one of the New Mutants. And I added on to that with a few things like reading all of Inferno, which was an extra 50 issues. So uh, 50 ish. So went through that, and then I just started reading through the Claremont X-Men run that I have. So I'm skipping over some issues, and I just kind of got to past the Dark Phoenix saga, because I was reading up to that, then I'm missing a lot of stuff. I'm just about to start the issue right after the Dark Phoenix saga, and then I have every X-Men issue ever after that. Well, so do you think it would be worth us diving into Kitty Pride and Wolverine while we're on a roll? We're on a roll. Um, yeah, sure. Well, we'll be back from the dead. In a sense, Ileana comes back. To-